0: Maximilian Coby, was 1941, Nazi Germany. A prisoner had escaped from Auschwitz. I can't say that, Auschwitz. In response, the deputy camp commander picked 10 men. And he said, you 10 are going into an underground bunker. You will pay the price for the escapees' crime. They were to be starved to death. And one of the selected men, Franciszek Gajowztek, I said that wrong too. Gajownezek cried out, he said, My wife, my children, I shall never see them again. They will never see me. And Maximilian Kolby, he was a priest, he was from Poland. He had been arrested by the Gestapo in February of that year. He this priest volunteered to take this man's. Place, Franciszek Kijounizek. The priest had no wife, he had no children, and even to some surprise, the offer was accepted. He took the place of the man. And an assistant janitor at Auschwitz would later testify that while confined with the others to starvation, Colby would lead the other prisoners in prayer. Every time the guards came into the room and they checked on him, Colby would be seen either standing or kneeling in his cell, looking calmly like at those who entered. Every um, After being starved and deprived of water for two weeks, only Colby and three others remained alive. The guards decided to give these four men lethal in- injections. And Colby is said to have raised his left arm while he calmly waited for the deadly injection and he died August 14th, 1941. But the words of Jesus here come to mind where Jesus said this. He said, Greater love has no one than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends. This morning I want us to consider in our minds, as we look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the heart of a servant. You know, it's one thing to die for a friend, it's a, it's a totally different thing to die for a complete stranger. But just how far God's love has gone for us, just how great of depths and sacrifice are we willing to go and serve? Would you be willing to be like Maximilian Colby? and give up your life for somebody you didn't know. And then as we consider God's love for us, we, we, we want to ask and consider what's our heart for God? How far are we willing to go to serve Him? Because for most of us, our lives might be going to work 40 hours or 60 hours. And then we come home and we've got our chores, we've got our things to do. You know what's on your plate. And then when you have free time, if you have any... There's lots of leisure and recreation and enjoyment. We want to ride our bikes and we want to go fishing and we want to ride our horses. We want to go have fun. Some of us like to go out to dinner. Others like to travel and go on vacation or take a drive. We get to the end of the week and we're ready for the weekend. Just how much time do we have to serve? Because for some it's time to party. Others, it's time to play. And today, we'll be watching the Super Bowl, many of us. But where in your life does it fit to serve God? We're gonna look at that. And then as we look at the spiritual fruit, we've, we've talked about that in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that, that those inner character traits that God wants to cultivate more and more of, they're available to us readily. We already have love, joy, peace, faith. We just have to exercise that. The Spirit's given us that. But we also need to remember the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. But as we talk about the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit in the heart, Of a servant, we remember Jesus Christ, who God's one and only Son, who came to earth. And right before he went to the cross, one of his very last acts with his disciples was to get down, take off his clothes, he stripped down to just a towel around his waist, and he washed his disciples' feet. The greatest of kings, intricately involved in creation of the world. He sits at the right hand of God. He reigns right now, and yet was willing to stoop so low as to wash his disciples' feet. And in doing that, he said in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said in John 13, verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so sometimes, somehow, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, when Jesus says a new command, I give you love one another. And the first and greatest command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But somewhere in there, Where would you put it, one, two, or three? Is that priority that we are to love others in the context of the body of Christ? If we can't love one another in the church, even with our differences, even with our disagreements, even with our quirks and idiosyncrasies, if we can't love one another in the church, how will the world even see a good picture of Jesus? It's a high priority. So even as we studied spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Peter 4, it was very clear throughout that study that you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you don't have love, you don't have nothing. 1 Peter 4 verse 8, the Apostle Peter writes, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 16, or 13, Paul wrote, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol." He goes on to describe more and more qualities of love. So today as we look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we look at the heart of a servant. In the context of all of this is that if you don't have love, none of what I'm going to say here this morning will matter. But the good news is this, God is love, and love comes from God, and as He gives love to us, we are enabled to give love to others. Love comes from God to us, to others, and the circle of love. We don't have to manufacture it ourselves, we we just need to ask God for help, and then do it, because love is an action. Let us not love with words or tongue, it says, but in actions and in truth. So let's go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And as the church was growing, as the gospel was spreading around the world, people were coming to Christ, so did their needs. So did the needs of the body of Christ. As the church grew, so so grew the needs. And while we read this, and, and some may look at this as, well, there's just a minor disturbance in the young church, The apostles realized this could be a serious issue. This could actually split the church. You guys ever (laughs) been aware of church splits? Where things kind of flew apart on what it was that caused the divide. And and sometimes it was something so small that some could consider petty, but not not really. And what we're going to see in this passage is that the apostles, they did not ignore it. They didn't dismiss it they didn't brush it off they also did not focus on the negative they didn't focus on the chatter instead they addressed the issue and the outcome they achieved set the foundation for how the church is to be how it's to serve and how it's to survive the model they established serves as a template for servant leadership so Acts chapter 6 In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So this may not seem major, but it was no minor situation. you got two people groups. Two different social groups or ethnic groups. People of two different backgrounds. They're all Jewish. But you've got the Hellenistic widows who spoke Greek. They were not native to Jerusalem. Some believe that in the diaspora, there was a persecution, there was some scattering, and maybe they got separated from their homeland, but they lived outside of Jerusalem, and they were coming back. And scholars would say that many would make their way back to Jerusalem. Many Jews would immigrate back to spend their final years in the Holy City before they died. That would make sense, wouldn't it? To come back to your homeland, and if you were a widow, you'd come back to the capital city and hope to find some aid. But not being from there, they didn't have any relatives who would be their first line of protection or care. And then the Hebraic widows, uh, Hebraic, it sounds like Hebrew, but they probably spoke Aramaic. They could speak Hebrew or Aramaic. And anytime you get into cultural differences, we're seeing a lot of cultural differences in our world today, You you, you need to figure out how do you move from thoughts and feelings to attitudes and beliefs. Attitudes and beliefs, because people with cultural differences, all of us have cultural differences, by the way. We come into life with different attitudes and outlooks, how we see the world. There's a big emphasis in the public sector about bias, conscious bias and implicit bias, and you can get lost in the bias, you can get accused of being biased, and the point is, is people are people. And all of us need a a framework or a reference point to look at others with empathy and to seek understanding, because we've all got our cultural differences. We're all different. We all have different backgrounds and, 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 and oftentimes that translates into outlooks, attitudes, views, and even beliefs. Well, the fact that the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked was not right. The apostles don't try to dismiss that or brush it off. Whether it was intentional or not, that's that's another question. There's no evidence in the passage that it was intentional, but it was happening. Luke's phrasing in the Greek does not make a case that it was intentional, but it was still wrong. And what it threatened to undo, it threatened to undo the unity in the church. Guys, if you see issues, hear about, know about issues in the church that could threaten the unity, it's like weeds. It's springtime, by the way, and... Pretty soon it's going to be time to get that garden ready and there's going to be weeds in the ground that you become more aware of because you're working that soil. And as the church grows, so go the needs. But with the needs sometimes come the weeds. These issues need to be addressed. And the apostles addressed them. But what's interesting is that in less than two chapters, if you have your Bible with you, there is a PowerPoint for it. Somehow, in less than two chapters, we went from Acts 4, what it says in verse 32 to 35, to this. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 4. As the church was growing, the gospel was spreading, people were getting saved, they were being baptized and coming to faith. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone, to each one, as they had need. See, that... that, the needs were being met and everybody was one in heart and mind and purpose and then all of a sudden you turn and less than two chapters later we're, we've got a crisis. The apostles went from preaching the word to having to deal with crisis management in the church. That's okay. They weren't prepared to do that. And so as this, as this was a presenting issue, what does verse 2 tell us? So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said this, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. It wasn't that waiting on tables was any lesser important. It It's just hard for one person to do both or for a group to do both. Or maybe God has called you to a ministry and, 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 and to use your gifts in this direction and to deviate from that in a full-time ministry or part-time ministry here or there would water down your impact of where he's called you to serve. There's a need for training up and raising up new leaders in the church, and there's a need for people in God's church to step up to serve. I I could ask for a show of hands. How many of you have ministry, but I'm not gonna do that right now? By the time we're done, though, with this today, I want you to be thinking and praying and searching, where would God have me to serve? This was an issue, though, in their church. And it says, when they, um, the widows came, you know, let's go back to that first verse. It says, uh, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained. The word that Paul uses in the Greek for complained is gongaismos. Say that with me. Gongaismos. It was a very unpleasant word. It was colorful and strong. It was similar to the way that the Israelites grumbled against Moses and against God as they were coming out of Egypt. They were griping against the leadership. They weren't just making, hey we got a situation. They were grumbling against the leadership, against the apostles. And murmuring and griping, whether it's in a church or in a home, can be so destructive. It's usually not very productive. But sometimes it can bring about change. Remember that in this passage, I'll say it again, the, the apostles didn't go back to attack the grippers. They didn't give big ex, uh, big, big uh, sermon here on griping in the church. They, they just tackled the problem. It would not be right for us to wait on tables. Verse three, brothers and sisters, "'Choose seven men from among you "'who are known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom.'" Seven men were chosen. I mean, the number of perfection. But in studying kind of the context of this, there was a Jewish practice in that day of setting up boards of seven people, seven men for particular duties. That was kind of a standard thing. Jewish custom in certain settings. And one of the things i got to say, I am impressed about in this passage, they had a food distribution system. It wasn't just once a week over at Jerusalem Helping Hands, but it was every day, the daily distribution of food. And, And probably it would have consisted of bread and fruit and nuts, and it could have had clothing going with it. I mean, they did have something going in their favor. It's just that one group of people were overlooked. It wasn't that they felt overlooked. This passage says they were. Well, the apostles didn't make a big issue. And sometimes in our own lives, guys, it's to a person's credit, Scripture says, to overlook an offense. People might murmur. They might grumble. They might complain. They might gripe. And we want to attack them, but instead, what if we race to find a solution and just solve the problem instead of trying to argue back. So seven men were chosen, and there were three qualifications. I I read that in that commentary. What, three qualifications? I'm only seeing two. Um, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, in verse three. But if you look in the Revised Standard Version, this is where they get the three, the three qualities. It says, Therefore, brethren, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. A good reputation, full of the Spirit, and having wisdom. These are awesome qualities. You want know people have a good reputation in the community. Outsiders will look at them and couldn't point a finger. Full of the Holy Spirit. Now we'll come back to that. I want you guys to start thinking, what is that? What does it mean to be full of the Spirit in your mind and everything we've talked about the last couple, but what does that look like to be full of the Spirit? And then wisdom. I mean, very good qualities. But all of this just to be on the board for waiting on tables? You might get in your mind, well that was a puny ministry. You don't need to be full of the Spirit and have a good background check and but, but to them, this was a significant ministry. And that's what I want you guys to understand and, and, and think about and maybe to see. I'm going to give you a couple of stories to back that up. When I, um, I'm going to switch to that slide. Not that, go up here. I had this on there for a purpose. So I went to college. Um, majored in psychology, minor in youth ministry. After four years, I went to cemetery. Um, One year, I packed in a master's degree um, in theology in preparation for ministry. So after five years of formal education, I come back home and I work underneath my dad as an associate pastor, a youth leader in ministry. One of the first... Assignments my father gave me when I came back home was this. Every week, I had to go visit those elderly who were in nursing homes. Some were sickly. Some were widows. One of the gentlemen, his name was John. And every week I had to go visit John. Most every week. John was in a nursing home, and... He got moved from one nursing home to another um, in part because he was so difficult. He was so cantankerous. He was always grumpy. He was never happy. And he made it difficult on others to even work with him. John's own kids did not want to visit John. And yet my job, even though I could say, hey, I, I, I signed up for youth ministry, was to go visit John week after week after a week and I wish I could tell you I look forward to those visits there was a lot of times where on the way I'd be in prayer God I don't know that I want to go there I don't know what I'm going to say there's nothing I can do that's going to make this guy happy God this is a total waste of my time but there was something humbling about serving in that ministry And I look back on it now with deep gratitude and thanks for my dad assigning that responsibility to me. Because it laid the groundwork and the foundation of it. I got to go to a home of a widow named Lou and we had communion. That was a special time. There were others that needed prayer, others that needed yard worker help from time to time. So let me fast forward. When we started True Life, early on in the ministry, somebody, a young man came and he said, hey, I want to serve, I want to get involved in ministry. And had aspirations for great service. I said, great, here's where we'll start, stacking chairs. Your job on Sunday is to stack the chairs and do the cleanup and mop the floor and sweep. When you start people there, you'll get one of two responses. One is, I'll gladly do it. The other one is I don't want to do this job, I don't see the importance of this in ministry. Okay, fine. You don't want to stack chairs? Go to the kids zone. Go to the kids zone. Well have you work with kids. Go to the nursery, start changing that. The point is, is it's not the title. It's not the perceived priority, but it's the heart of a servant. And it's, you got the God of creation sending his son who's willing to go so low as to, to wash his disciples' feet and you can have a very dynamic and powerful and charismatic leader, and they can go on to have great ministries and do great things and pastor large churches. But if you don't have the heart and attitude of a servant, you're not willing to step chairs or visit the person in the nursing home or help that person alongside the road or that person in need. We all need to have the heart of a servant. And so the disciples, they did a good job of delegating. By the way, uh, Josh, this is this is Maximus Colby. They're, I don't know if you guys, you guys could be brothers. Yeah. No, you know what? Praise the Lord for him. When it comes to the church, the body of Christ, the Apostle Paul made it very clear. In First Corinthians chapter 12, that nobody is above another, that every member of the body of Christ is important, every gift is needed, every person, every part is necessary to serve. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. He's using the human body part analogy to refer to Christ's church. 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts of the lactate so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We could look at the church as a body, or you could look at it as a machine. You could look at it as an automobile. You could look at it as a Swiss watch. Every part needs to be functioning effectively for the whole thing to work completely the way that God desired it to be. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have a spiritual gift. If you have a spiritual gift, you have a ministry. And every one of you is a part of it. And so my goal in the life of true life is that we would be inspired by God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we would discover our gifts and operate in the the strength of the Lord wherever God would lead us to serve. Jesus is our example. It says in Philippians chapter two, verse six to seven, who being in very, very nature God did not Consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. How low are you willing to go to serve the Lord? And does it stem out of love? Love for God, love for others, and love for His Church? Where are you serving? What are your gifts and how are you using them? You take Jesus, He touched the leper, He welcomed the children, He washed His disciples' feet and Hudson Taylor, he said this, when God wants to do something great, his great works, he trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough, and then he uses that person. Amen. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. So here are the qualities that were required. It says that they, uh, good reputation, full of the spirit, and having wisdom. Well, verse 5 tells us this. It says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. So he had the qualification they were looking for. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, to convert to Ju- Judaism. You know what's fun about these guys? They've all got Greek names. Not that that, you know, a person could have three names back in that culture. They could have a Greek name, a Hebrew name, an Aramaic name. But each of these were most likely members of the same cultural group as the widows who were complaining. The Hellenistic widows. They had Greek names. They spoke Greek. And kind of one of the ironies here. How do you see this could be an advantage then in the early church? And and, and you look at how they were picked. Um, You go back to, okay, how are we supposed to decide what to do here? The proposal is this. It says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you we will turn this responsibility over to them. So, if there was a need in the church, this is kind of cool. Um, what the, the leaders were nominated by the group, but appointed by the apostles. So at True Life, if we use that example, you've got the executive leadership team. And we say, okay, we need seven men to be in charge of setup and cleanup every week. All right, group, you guys... You guys decide among yourselves who to pick and bring it to the leadership team who will nominated by the group but appointed by the apostles. And this appointment was no trivial thing. It says there in, in the book of Acts that once the seven were brought forward, they placed their hands on them. This idea of placing your hands to commission someone goes clear back to the Old Testament. To where Moses was handing the baton to Joshua. It says in Numbers chapter 27, Moses did as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eliezer, the priest, and the whole assembly. Then he laid hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had instructed through Moses. It says in Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And so, this commissioning in the church by by laying on of hands, we we can call people up and lay hands on them for prayer. God, bring healing, for comfort, for encouragement, for sending when they go off to school. But when it comes to when it comes to ministry leaders, there was early church practice of laying on of hands. I think that's kind of cool. With the um, When the group decided these seven, this wasn't a case of, you know, if you smelt it, you dealt it, or um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But it's because they were led to select these seven men of God. These Greek-speaking men, they could understand, they could relate, they could connect, they, they understood the cultural and the social differences. They would consider the attitude and outlook by which those widows were viewing their world. They might be in the best position to be most sensitive to their needs. They would be ministering to their own people group. They would know the needs of their own people the best. That's something to consider is that, I'll talk about this more and more in the future, we want to have a big emphasis in world missions and do our part in fulfilling the Great Commission, the Gospel go gospel all around the world. And we can go, and we can give, and we can pray. And it is great for us to go, and God does mighty things when we, we ourselves go, or when we send somebody from the United States to another country. But it's also important to sponsor people who are there doing the work. They understand the language, the culture, they, they know the people. And so it's really exciting. It's exciting to partner with ministries that already have people there doing the work, speaking in the language, relating to the people. The best leaders, though, should be a servant. Good reputation, full of the Spirit, and having wisdom. In your bulletin this morning, there's a little thing in there um, Chat GPT. Some of you have heard Brett Mader at AP Creek talked about it. If you want to go and open your own account, you go to openai.com or whatever, and you can sign up to have a chat GPT account where you can ask questions, and artificial intelligence will fill in the answer. In your bulletin, and I'm not going to read this, I I typed in, what can we learn from Acts 6, 1 through 7? And this was the answer artificial intelligence spit out. It's kind of uncomfortable stuff, but it's interesting where it really gets a lot of the stuff right. So I I typed in a a, a question, I asked chat GPT, which is really kind of an awkward technology, but I said, um, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here's what it said. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a concept that is central to many Christian denominations and is considered a transformative experience. There is no one specific way to be filled with the Holy Spirit, as different denominations and individuals may have different beliefs and practices. However, here are some common ways that people seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one is through prayer. Praying for the Holy Spirit to fill and guide you is a common way to seek a deeper connection with the divine. Two, worship. Many people believe that worship, particularly singing and praising, can help open the heart to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Three, reading the Bible. Studying and meditating on the words of the Bible is another way to deepen one's connection with the Holy Spirit. Four, confession and repentance. Confessing and repenting of one's sins is a way to prepare the heart to receive the Holy Spirit. And then number five it came was seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some Christian denominations believe in a separate experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is often accompanied by physical manifestations, such as speaking in tongues. Ultimately though, says Chat G-P-T, ultimately the belief is that being filled with the Holy Spirit is a gift from God that can bring comfort, guidance, and a deeper connection to the divine. Some individuals may experience a sudden, intense filling of the Holy Spirit, while others may experience a gradual growth in the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, I shared that this morning, because to me it's an awkward technology that big brain ants in our culture are saying is gonna change everything. It's gonna screw up when a, when your high school student gets an assignment, they write a paper, and they go to check GPT and, and ask a question, and, and within seconds, this took about 12 seconds to spit out what I just read. What I found also fascinating was, doggone it, whatever this technology is, does it know Jesus? It, It seemed to have a pretty good understanding of the divine. We can only, this is me just speaking off the top of my head, we can only pray that God will use it somehow. Although it kind of creates a lot of concerns in my mind. The point is this, heart of a servant, good reputation, full of the Spirit, having wisdom, do you check those boxes? Because I want God to use you, and He will. But here's what I'm going to say. First of all, if you have a bad reputation in any way, if you've wronged anybody or done something to offend them, go back to them and just say, I'm sorry, I need to make this right. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. God is doing something new in my heart and life and I want to be used by God and before I can step out and serve, I need to come to you and get things right. And it's okay if this happens on a daily basis. We're going to stub people's toes. We're going to do things wrong. We're going to offend people. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to overlook the widows not getting their daily allotment of food. We didn't try to do it. But we want to have a good reputation. And every one of us should desire to have a good reputation. So you just confess it, ask for forgiveness. And if they say, I do forgive you, great. If not, no problem. You did what you could to get things right. Second of all, full of the Holy Spirit. Prayer, worship, reading the Bible, confession and repentance, humility before God. Our attitude toward God, toward sin. Make room, though, for the Holy Spirit to come in. And then wisdom. This wisdom, some would translate, we need men with the gift of administration. They know how to organize the task and do it. They know how to get things done. They know how to make good decisions. Seek the Lord. Ask him for guidance. God, give me wisdom to know how to face this responsibility you've given me. Have any of you ever signed up, though, for a way to serve that was over your head? God, how am I going to do this? But I'm going to do it anyway. I feel, I believe you're leading me to do this. Wisdom. He will do that. Here's a net effect. They gather together, they laid hands on these men. They commissioned them for service. And Luke, the author of Acts, wants us to know. So the word of God spread. Remember Acts chapter 4, where everybody had everything together and nobody was in need. And then we hit this crisis point in the church, and you're down to crisis management. They address the situation. We've got the appointing of seven men. So the word of God spread. the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. A large number of priests. And what's interesting by some historians' account, the number, whether it was the Levites in town, or you had those who were in the priestly divisions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The point is, is people came to put their faith and trust in Christ. And there could have been upwards of eighteen thousand people serving in some type of a related capacity, and many of those became obedient to the faith. They 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 flipped. They converted. No longer giving into ritual Judaism, but into a relationship with God through His Son. But there's more. There's more because remember. We need somebody to wait on tables. We need somebody to serve the widows. We need somebody to distribute food. And, and some people say, I don't want that job. That's such a lowly task. Do you realize that out of the seven men referenced there, if you keep reading in Acts chapter 6, you'll discover that Stephen is much more than a table waiter leading a food distribution system. He's a leader in the church. Look at Acts chapter 6. Verses 8 through 10. It says this Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as in the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of The Spirit gave him as he spoke. Stephen's serving went beyond just the distribution of food to becoming a leading spokesman, a key leader in that church. So much so that in chapter 7 of Acts, he becomes the first martyr for the faith. The religious leaders gathered around. They formed, I can just picture them forming a circle and picking up their stones, and as he continues to proclaim Jesus. They just start throwing those rocks at him and they kill him. And the apostle Paul is standing there before he was Paul, he was Saul. Saul stands there giving approval to his death. Philip, one of the seven. Next chapter, Acts chapter eight. Verse four, In those days those who had been scattered, so as the persecution went up and arose, God's people got scattered Philip, one of the seven, ended up going to a different part of the region. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. You see how God promotes from the ground up And if you're willing to serve him, if you're willing to stack chairs, if you're willing to mop the floor, if you're willing to work in the nursery, if you're willing to do whatever he wants, no matter how great or dirty it might seem, Philip became a leader in proclaiming the gospel, a great evangelist, so much so even that an angel of the Lord said to Philip Verse 26 of chapter 8 he goes out to the road, the desert road. that goes down from Jerusalem and Gaza. And there's this Ethiopian eunuch, a guy from another country, in his chariot, riding along. And he's reading Isaiah and he needs help understanding the prophet. And Philip proclaims the good news and helps them understand the scripture. And they stop right there. The guy gets baptized. He gets saved. What greater Opportunity? What can you think of that's greater than somebody coming to know the Lord, spending eternity together forever because of you and what you did? These guys were willing to step up the serve. They started with waiting tables, distributing food, and God used them in mighty ways. In closing this morning. There's a couple of character traits that you can find in your bulletin. Initiative. Recognizing and doing what needs to be done before being asked to do it. Yesterday, we were down setting up the sound system and Laura and Rebecca and Becky were all plugging in wires and cables. And I remember there we had a few more chairs we needed to set out, So I went out and got another stack of a dozen chairs and I started laying them out I looked behind me and here comes Abigail picking up chairs stacking chairs she didn't have to do it she wasn't asked she took that initiative (laughs) Um, going into hospitals going into nursing homes I was asked to speak at Pheasant Point to fill in for Pastor Carl a few weeks ago and We went into that nursing home. I I had that distinct recollection of that grand piano that sits in the lobby. I asked Brian and Laura, I asked Laura to come, would you just play the piano? They're going to sing some songs. We get there only to discover, yes, the piano is there in the lobby, but the church service is in an upper room. The upper room is the size of like a a large walk-in closet. There's no piano. But yet they were willing to serve and we opened the hymns and we sang a off a of fella there were only maybe five six seven residents that came out to hear and yet that time was so special and so blessed and so meaningful and in my mind I said we've got to do this more we have got to go and serve servants are becoming excited about making somebody else successful so today was to be the start of what I called our ministry fair. And if you go to the back, you'll see some forms. One of them is the true life ministry application. See, I thought of this in different ways. Number one, we could have a tape. What I pictured was those career fairs where you got a, a bunch of jobs sign up if you want this job all this is the things to do. I thought, well, we can just have a bunch of job descriptions. No, don't do that. Um, We talked about the spiritual gifting, the different ways to serve, the gift of administration, the gift of wisdom, the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy. We could just put spiritual gifts. And I thought, no, sometimes it's, maybe you need to find out what God's saying to the people, how He's wired them, how He's gifted them. And seeking the Lord, how do you want to move in our midst to serve? Maybe a need will arise, like it did in the early church. And then we'll have to address that need. But last Sunday, after the service, I had three separate people come up to me with thoughts on their minds and ideas for service. And I said I would call them. Do you remember that, Neola? So if Neola would come up first, and then um, Terry Lynn... You are the second person that came up last Sunday with an idea for a ministry, Ways to Serve. And um, the third person couldn't be here today unless it's you or somebody else out there. So I'm going to give Neola the microphone. I wanted her to be up here, so watch out for that jump yeah, rope. Thank you, Neola, for being willing to share this morning.
1: You know in the Bible, it talks about a hidden, or a talent that you would hide. Who would hide a talent? If you sing, if you can sing, you sing. If you teach, you teach. If you play an instrument, you play an instrument. These are accomplishments. But what if your talents were things you were ashamed of? Like, uh, maybe you had a bad divorce. Maybe you had a cheating spouse or you cheated on your spouse. Maybe you had serious financial problems. What if you're one of your children were in jail or in prison? What if you had an abortion? What if you were a bully or been bullied? What if you had a mental health crisis? What if you were a sexual uh, perversion? What if you're a victim of abuse or an abuser? What if you lost a child to child custody? What if you were self-righteous? Now these, I think, are hidden talents. When you go to church and someone stands up and they say, I lost my child, the child has to be. You can smile and you can say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Or you can be honest. And you can say, I did that too. But let me tell you how Jesus walked me through it. Amen. All these, I believe, are hidden talents And as a church we have, we will not be vulnerable to each other. We can't be honest. But this is what the body needs. The body needs the comfort of one another. We have walked through it, and Christ took us through it. And if Christ can take me through it, he can take you through it. Amen.
0: That's the best sermon right there. (laughs) Terry Lynn, come up. You had something you shared with me last Sunday, and I wanted to give you it. I know I made I had you follow Neola. <laughs> but you had ideas for ministry opportunities and needs. Surprise!
1: I brought up to him last week um, because of the needs that I've had. We have a lot of seniors and single parents that haven't got time to do yard right. work, clean up after winters and help them do stuff like this, whether it be just a stack at some place to get it out of their way. But we have a big need, because I know a lot of people that can't get out and do this for themselves. And they ask you know, people too busy. So we need to find people that aren't too busy. A day, a few hours, any time at all, be very, very grateful for people to get that help. You know, it doesn't take much, just a day. Not every weekend. Not, every, not a full commitment, but once in a while, if you got something on your mind or in your heart that you really want to get out and do something, what can I do in springtime? Maybe we can get a list together and get it out there in the community that we're here for them. I wouldn't mind meeting it up and being part of this if I can get a group of folks behind me to do this. I'm one of those folks I need. I'm disabled, I have a really bad back, can't tell, but there are things I can't do for myself. So I'd like to be able to do what I can to help others. I'd like to ask everyone of you guys in here, to search your hearts for what you could do, something simple, something little, because that little tiny thing is huge in someone's heart with they receipt of it.
0: Thank you. So she brings that up um, in the back. There's the ministry application that lets us to get to know a little bit about you. Um, and then there's the uh, this piece of paper on discover your ship sh- shape. You're the, it sounded like I was gonna stutter. You don't have your shape figured out. Sorry. Everybody. What are your spiritual gifts? And on the other side, there's a list. We talked about ways to identify whether it's by the process of elimination or by it's by discovery, just getting up and serving. Or by talking and seeking counsel, somebody can uh, give you some insight. A lot of it's just rolling up our sleeves and serving. What has God placed on your heart? Any special burdens? Terry Lynn shared one today. Neola shared some burdens on how we can use our life experiences. And that's one of the, the things on the list. What are some life experiences, positive, traumatic, or otherwise, that God might be able to use? Your natural talents, your abilities, your personality. And then last but not least, and it's on a blue piece of paper, this is for your ideas. Either create a job description or a ministry idea of ways we can serve. Ways God could use you or something you'd like to see happen in the body life of true life. You also see other ideas. Here's the sheet that says giving and it's got a dozen ways to give. Missions, a dozen ways to serve. Serving, and we can develop this over the next three weeks. We'll have the ministry fair back there. As we carry and continue this conversation, kind of moving it more one-on-one, how can God use you to serve? Where are you being used? This morning, before you leave, um, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday is coming up, April 9th and we're gonna have a big celebration up at Holly Chokes outdoor home place. Last year we had about 180 people, I think, with the kids, there were almost 50 kids in it. And so this year, Rebecca's in charge of the hospitality. Hospitality is a big way to serve. Food's a big deal, food and fellowship is a big deal in the heart of the community. And so there's a sign-up sheet in the back if you're willing to serve, and she's got a dozen different ways. Um there's a kids' zone ministry kiosk over there that Tessa set up, ways that you can help out with our kids. And we're at the place right now we need two or three or more two or three more adults to go back every week if you just do it once a month. It would greatly help us out. But there's a process and there's you need to get your background check and and so as the no, as the church grew. So do its needs. And these are exciting times. But would you just bow your heads with me right now and join me in prayer? God, we just pray that you would show us what you want to do here in your church. It's not your church, it's not our church, it's Christ's church. We're part of the body of Christ. Universal. We're connected by, by faith with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this town and in this area and the state, the country, all over the world. God, you've got a job to do and a vision that you would have for us to come together in unity and, and serve one another in love and then go out to reach the world for Christ, to share the gospel. Really the heartbeat of, of why you sent your son is evangelism, that they might come to know you, put their faith and trust in you and then discipleship, to be lifelong followers of Jesus. And so, God, I just pray that you continue to plant that vision in our minds. And God, I would desire that every believer serve in the area of their spiritual giftedness and with the talents, gifts, abilities, life experiences, everything that you've given them. Do a movement, God, I'm praying. Here at True Life, do a mighty work through your Holy Spirit. While we seek revival to break out around the world, may you start here changing our hearts and lives and may we work in partnership and in unity with what you're doing in other places as well. Raise up people, God, who are willing to serve and build your church, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.